The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Come, someone has have brought him some food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we, are no long, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you that you give us the words of life. And we pray that you'd help us hear your words this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're starting this morning a short series looking at faith, hope and love in our time leading up to Easter. Rather appropriate given that at Easter time we celebrate God's love overcoming all on the cross in the person of his son Jesus. As well as it being our 20th anniversary, it's a great time to take stock a bit and see where we're up to and what we believe that God is calling us to do and how we might respond. And it fits in well also with what the rest of the churches in the diocese are doing, who are responding to Bishop Christopher's call to mission, as he mentioned when he was here the other week. And of course, it fits in well with, I have to say, a Springfield twist, when he talked, when you probably don't even remember, when he was, he was talking about giving out letters with stuff from him. Well, we're having to rework all of that. But the same principle is there, you know. We have to do a Springfield twist. But this call to mission is a mission that's on our hearts as well as the church, I know. And the term faith, hope and love comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in that great passage often read out at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. You know that one? 
And the passage ends, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope and love are for Paul the three things that have everlasting value, that are worth investing in, cultivating, because they have eternal significance and value. We may lose so much else, our homes, our property. We're not taking our clothes or anything else we purchase with us. But the three things that we can invest in that will last into eternity, faith, hope and love. And the one we're talking about this morning is faith. And there's a great definition in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it was through faith that Springfield was first set up. It was the hope that Springfield would have an impact on our community with the good news for Jesus. That people would come into a relationship with Jesus. That Springfield would be a blessing to our community. That was the faith of those who set Springfield up. That was the hope that they had for Springfield. And it's been happening over the years, maybe in small ways, maybe it wasn't this great avalanche that suddenly would happen and we'd become a 5,000 strong church overnight and you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's been happening and it continues to happen more and more. You can't judge a church purely from its numbers because a church is so much more But the numbers start becoming a little indicator, very often, of the spiritual reality behind it. And this is a a set of slides I showed at the Leaders Away Day last week, and I thought it'd be worth sharing with the rest of you. And so I thought I'd give you some facts and figures for Springfield. All the figures are from last year and uh, relate mostly to the whole of that year. And uh, you're going to get a leaflet after the sermon with all this stuff on. Firstly, our average Sunday attendance across our two congregations is now 240 people. So on average, including our all-age services which are lower, and the summer, which usually again is lower because people go away, we have on average 240 adults and children in Springfield on an average Sunday. We now have 217 people who belong to cell groups. That's defined as youth upwards. In 22 cells, supported by nine cell pastors. We've seen a significant growth in the number of cells and number of people in cells in the past year. On Roundshaw, we saw the adult congregation last year doubled 
from those that we sent out. And we saw the children and youth triple in numbers on Roundshaw. In the welcome lunch, you know we have about three welcome lunches a year. And you kind of wonder, don't you? Um, you may not wonder, but I sometimes, you, know, you want to know, well, how many, I wonder, still come to Springfield? Do they just come and they, they leave the church? Well, we did some statistics of this. We went through last year, looked at every single person who came to a welcome lunch. And we found that there were 64 new people who attended a welcome lunch last year. That does not include people at Springfield who are helping at the welcome lunch. Of those, 80% attend Springfield now. The Mix, which is our monthly youth um, club, happens on a Friday night, happened the week before last, has an average of 56 young people per month going uh, to the Mix. It's an increase of 36% on 2010. I should also say that um, this month's Mix actually had 83 young people there. Um, a little higher than average. And obviously going to see some, may well see significant increases this year. 50% of the youth who come have been invited by other young people at Springfield. In other words, 50% of the young people who come do not come to Springfield Church. In fact, the Friday before last, it was 62%. We're even getting now people who don't come to Springfield inviting other friends who don't come to Springfield, if you see what I mean. Um, Great opportunity to share God's love, both in deed and actually in word. We have the website. 57,852 hits across 75 countries. (laughs) Now, I know that some people who are viewing it overseas are actually people um, who have moved from Springfield to New Zealand or Australia and places like that, or America. So, Caring Cupcakes, I love this one. Caring Cupcakes, Carolyn and her team, have baked and delivered over 600 cakes last year. That's, uh, it's a great, great ministry. They, um, they support the Ashby Grange Cell uh, in outreaches in both, in two different um, old people's places in Wallington and it's a great ministry Holiday Club 275 children took part last year in our Holiday Club as far as I'm aware um, in the borough of Sutton it's I think the largest that I know of I mean I'm happy to be corrected on that one but I don't know I know there's a huge one in Morden but I don't know any around this area so we I think have the largest Holiday Club in the area. It also gave us the largest service of our year with 303 people attending at last year, our um, holiday club service, which is brilliant. Roadrunners and Sparklers, actually Sunday club overall because it includes creche. A hundred children on our books, exactly, <laughs> according to Chris, and she does keep amazing records. So a hundred children, belong to Springfield. Seven members of the team that works on Roadrunners join Springfield through things like the Holiday Club. In other words, they join because of children's work at Springfield. Footsteps has an average of 65 each month that attend our messy church and an increase of 36% on 2010. 
So again, another growing ministry there. Twelve families who come have no other connection with church other than footsteps. Youth, we have 54 young people at Springfield. 16 went to Soul Survivor last year. And uh, we're expecting similar numbers this year going as well. Tiptoes, over 50 families attended over the course of the year and 10 of their older children came to Holiday Club. One of the things we've found time and time and time again is that the more the ministries overlap, the more people come to different things. And so therefore, if we've got multiple children's ministries, we find that they reinforce one another. So tiptoes, reinforces footsteps, reinforces holiday club, reinforces the mix. They all start reinforcing one another. And we see this great growth. Alpha, we had 36 people attend an Alpha course last year. And out of that, we've had two new cells. So we've had the spring cell and the cello tape cell. Don't you love that cello tape? Great. Um, now, there are loads of other statistics we have, but we just wanted to give you a flavour, really, of how God is growing the church. And sometimes it's some of those numbers you won't have known, because the reality is they're, in a sense, hidden behind the scenes of your Sunday service. But that's where faith comes in. Because as... as uh, as the writer to Hebrews said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we as a church have seen a huge growth going on in Springfield. We've seen the, the amount of times people say to me, I don't know everybody in the church. Yeah, all these new people here, who are they? And my stock answer is go and talk to them and find out. But faith is having that assurance that God is at work amongst us. God is using us to go into new places and in new ways and that is exciting. And we need faith ourselves in the calling God has put on our lives to help others come to faith. That's why we're focusing on reaching out to those around us through our cell groups and our ministries. And it's when we take those steps of faith that we see God at work. And the story we had read out to us from John's Gospel is an absolutely brilliant description of how Jesus engages with the people and how they might come to faith. So John chapter 4. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, it's about midday, in a typical Samaritan town, near a well, and Jesus is exhausted. He's had a long journey, and he says to his disciples, go off to town, get the stuff, but I just need to take a break. Life's been busy, put my feet up. And this woman comes along, and immediately you're you're faced with about four different issues. First of all, you're in first century Jewish Samaritan society, men and strange women do not mix together. If Jesus had any compassion on her, he would have withdrawn from the well to be at a distance from her so that she could come and draw water. He doesn't. 
So that's problem number one. Problem number two is she's Samaritan, he's Jewish. The hatred between the two is just off the scale. The Samaritans and the Jews have been fighting for centuries. And in fact, only some years earlier, the Samaritans had broken into the Jewish temple and scattered bones to make the temple unclean. It was uh, religious violence of the most horrible sort. So that's issue number two. Issue number three is that it's midday and she's coming on her own. You, you went and got the water at night in the early evening and in the early morning. The fact that she's coming on her own at that time of day also says she is not welcome with the other women when they come to get water. In other words, she's probably a lady of the night. All these problems are facing Jesus. Any self-respecting rabbi would walk off immediately. And what's he do? He asks her for some water. Jesus is always going into uncomfortable situations. Places where most of us wouldn't dare to go. Now, we look back and we say, well, that's not so bad. You know, we understand that, we understand this. But actually, in our own society, there are places that we probably wouldn't go. There are times we wouldn't go there. There are people we'd probably prefer to avoid. It's like Jesus has this homing beacon in on anybody that anybody else would find uncomfortable. You know, that sort of thing. Jesus just has that homing beacon in. And it's a question for us as a church as to whether we want to keep ourselves comfortable whether we want to keep ourselves neat and tidy and sound, or are we prepared to take the risk and open up? Are we prepared to welcome people that we would find uncomfortable to be amongst us? Jesus goes where others aren't prepared to go. Jesus welcomes those who others don't want around. He takes himself out of his comfort zone, so that this woman has a chance to find God. The second amazing thing is that he asks her to serve him. You know, so many church ministries are about helping the poor, doing good for others. In a sense, it's very often we put services on, or you know, if you have a church building, which we don't, praise the Lord, you try and maximise the use of your church building. So you put all these ministries on in your church. There's nothing wrong with that. But immediately, you're in control. I, I remember a, a thing some years ago. There was an absolutely shocking... Um, funeral I took of two young children burnt to death near Holy Trinity School. And uh, uh, Stephen was away at the time on holiday and uh, I went down to the school and, and helped them out and, and all the rest of it. And, and I suggested to the Holy Trinity that they put a, um, something as a memorial there for this girl so that people could come into church and do stuff. And, and some of the parents' comments were things like, there was no picture of her. We wanted a picture of her. And, and immediately they started unreasonably, unfairly, because probably the church didn't realise 
blame the church for it because they've become the gatekeepers for it. They've become the owners of this expression of grief. And sometimes when we turn that round and instead of becoming, saying, here, come and use us in this way, we go serving, saying, and asking for help from others. We find a different way of reaction. I don't know how many of you saw um, Rowan Williams' discussion with uh, Richard Dawkins. I thought what was really fascinating was the way that he tackled Richard Dawkins. That instead of just coming with assertion and argument and major debate, he kept asking questions about how things worked, how things happened. And what was really interesting is it, dis- it seemed to disarm Richard Hawkins, Dawkins. He was, he was not only reasonable, but he also started to admit to the areas that he was uncertain about. It's only beginning. <laughs> but it was an interesting to see that happen. Jesus comes, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who can command legions of angels and says, would you give me a drink? An outsider, a woman, a prostitute probably, would you serve me? The least person he could find in the area and he says, will you serve me? It's a powerful insight for us to grasp that sometimes we need to let others serve us and not just try and be in the driving seat. That's one of the ideas behind the river ministries. That actually their ministries planted in the community, for the community, with the community. And then we let God see what happens. And you have to have faith to try this route. It's easy to hide behind certainty. It's easy to hide behind what we've always done. To step out takes faith. To step out and see things go wrong and still pick yourself up and do it again takes faith. But Jesus also has this amazing prophetic insight And I think the Spirit also gives us insight and prophetic insight when we let him guide us. So, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. When we're seeking God, when we're seeking to step out for God, time and again I've found, and I'm sure others have found, that God is already there. That God is already setting up the conversations that are needed. Opening the doors. I mean, I've said this loads of times about uh, Mother Angela at St. Michael's. When we didn't know where we were going to plant another congregation, we felt, yes, we were called plant another congregation. We'd love to do it on Mount Shore, but that's close to us. What, would we, what can we do? And it was Mother Angela, the priest there, who came to us and said, come over here and help us, will you? God opened the doors in ways we could not imagine because we refused to just bulldoze the doors down. And we let God open the doors for us. 
in ways so much more complete, so much deeper than we would have otherwise had. This prophetic insight from Jesus goes deep into the woman, but instead of being a condemnation, it's merely a statement of fact. He doesn't throw her away. He doesn't say, look, I know how awful you are. Get on your knees, you sinner, and repent. He just mentions it. And she reacts because it's a God statement into her life. And when our, our, um, and when we're acting in that prophetic way, then God gives us that extra power, that extra insight, the extra movement of the Spirit into our communities. Instead of always saying, learning the four spiritual laws or whatever, we're, we're finding more and more that as we just say to people, come and see. Come and see what's going on. People open their hearts and their eyes and their ears and they come. That's why for next Sunday I've said, invite people along. Bring your friends and family and neighbours. Not those Christians who, are, who already know the stuff, but new people. People who don't know Jesus. Come and be part of a loving community and hear the good news of Jesus. And then fourthly, our faith, as we walk in faith, points us to Jesus. Which of course for Jesus means pointing it to himself. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And sometimes it's not that we are Jesus, because of course we're not. But it is sometimes the case that God speaks through us. That Jesus speaks through us to other people. That people say, do you know what? It was just like that made total sense. I really connected with that. I understood what was happening there. Time and again you hear of people where Jesus is working in their life saying, I got it. I understood it. It was exactly what I needed at this time. That made total sense. That spoke right into my life. And it's as we point people more and more to Jesus, to his love, to his grace, to his mercy, as we point him to the way he works and his attitudes, we see more and more people respond to that love and that grace. You know, Sometimes we just want things instantaneously. We just want things now. 20 years ago, I suspect, and especially after the first couple of weeks when it grew so quickly, I bet they thought, wow, this is amazing. What's the limit? And yet, for some years, we, we were about the same size. We didn't grow, we just stayed and carried on. But each stage of Springfield's life as we've gone in faith to Jesus, he's strengthened us and built us. Even through our difficult times, those have been formational for us and foundational to build those foundations deep so that God can use us more to be a blessing in our community. There's this great passage right at the end when the disciples come back. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, look round you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Jesus calls the church to the harvest. And I really see, you saw those figures. You know, if everybody looks back at the early church and says, wow, there's just this amazing growth and, and the world was turned upside down and so many people came to Christ. And, and then the Roman Empire became Christian. Wow! The, the studies say that the growth of the church in the first three or four centuries was 40% per decade. 40% per decade. Not 40% a year or every six months. 40% per decade. Revival isn't necessarily five million people coming to Christ in a single weekend. I think revival sometimes is when we actually, through eyes of faith, dig deep, solid foundations and start doing the business. Start living out of the calling that we have, that we have faith, that the vision that God has set before us as a church will come to pass and living for that vision that he's given us as a church. One of the reasons we have Leaders Away Days is to ensure that as many people as possible can have an input, can share their concerns, their insights, and so that we can be as one mind. I do believe we're at a time when God is asking us to reap. I do believe we're at a time when we've built and are building solid foundations. And I do believe that through the eyes of faith we can actually grow in Jesus and see him. What was interesting about this Samaritan journey is that the town comes out and they say they believe in him. And he spent some days there. It takes time. But what's really fascinating is actually beyond this story. Because you see, the early church, after it explodes in Jerusalem and 5,000 on the day of Pentecost come to follow Jesus as the Messiah, where's the first place that turns to Christ? It's Samaria the first non-Jewish communities to follow Jesus are the Samaritans, or some of the Samaritans. And it's come through Jesus preparing the ground with that woman at the well so that people know when the disciples come through and proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus, people say, he was that Messiah guy who came and told us everything we knew. We've done a lot of sowing 
as a church in 20 years. But we're also starting to see quite a bit of reaping going on. And our call of faith is to step out into that. To invite people to anything we can. Whether it's a quiz evening, quiz evening like last <coughs> night, the Archbishop Country next Sunday, so that people can hear the good news and experience the good news amongst us and with us. Statistics don't define Springfield, but they help us a little bit to understand what God is doing amongst us. And so as I end, I've asked a few people to help me. We've got a leaflet for each of you want to give out. On the front of it are those facts and figures that you might want to think about and, and take away. And there's loads and loads of other facts and figures we could have put in. So when you come to me and say, why didn't you put in this, that or the other, we've got next year. On the other side of it is the bit that we're going to be addressing in the next few weeks as we're looking to our response in the couple of weeks leading up to Easter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace that has opened the paths of life to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us share that love and that grace with others around us and that we'd see others through your eyes of faith. Would you help us to take away the fear of other people and help us to have eyes and ears of love in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. I need a little bit of help with Bill. Yes, great. Now what we're going to do is just going to...